And so um, among the many people we need to thank for uh, uh, helping to prepare for our worship today are the women who helped to put up the banner. And I'm not even sure who all did this, but I know Kathy Stark was involved in the design, and, but there were many others who, who uh, put it up there. Looks like it was not easy. Uh, so thank you for this visual reminder of why we are here. For this is the day of Pentecost. You may know that uh, it was originally a Jewish feast, a, the, the first spring harvest festival of the year, also known as the Feast of Weeks, to be followed later on in the fall by the Feast of Booths, another harvest festival. But this spring harvest festival was also a time when the people of God gathered together for a renewal of the covenant, kind of like renewing your marriage vows, renewing their identity with, as God's people. And so they were very mindful of the gift of the law, of their encounter with God on Sinai. And isn't it uh, kind of a coincidence that uh, while they celebrated the law, we celebrate the gift of the Spirit? I wonder what the connection there is. And while the disciples were gathered together to celebrate the Jewish Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, what a coincidence that on that very day, the Spirit of God was poured out in a new way. And so listen now for this story from the book of Acts, chapter 2. This is the word of God to us. When the Feast of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, Without warning, there was a sound like a strong wind, gale force. No one could tell where it came from. It filled the whole building. And then, like wildfire, the Holy Spirit spread through their ranks, and they started speaking in a number of different languages as the Spirit prompted them. There were many Jews staying in Jerusalem just then, devout pilgrims from all over the world to celebrate this feast. So when they heard the sound, they came on the run, and when they heard their own mother tongues being spoken, they were thunderstruck. They couldn't, for the life of them, figure out what was going on. Aren't these Galileans? How can we hear them speaking our language? And then they go on and list all the different languages and countries of the Mediterranean and the the Near East. And their heads were spinning. They couldn't make head or tail of it. And they called back and forth, confused. What's going on here? And some joked, well, they're drunk on cheap wine. And that's when Peter stood up, backed by the other eleven, and spoke with a bold urgency. Fellow Jews, all of you who are visiting Jerusalem, listen carefully and get this story straight. These people aren't drunk, as some of you suspect. They haven't had time to get drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. Well, that's a great defense. This is what the prophet Joel announced would happen. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on every kind of people. Your sons will prophesy and also your daughters. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And when the time comes, I'll pour out my spirit on those who serve me, both men and women. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the hot weather has come. We're in storm season now. I know you're all on alert. 
And I was thinking how bad it would be if we had a power failure on a Sunday morning. How uncomfortable it would soon get. Just think, a church without power. People would stop coming. We wouldn't have light. We wouldn't, we wouldn't have air conditioning. A church without power. Soon it would have to close its doors. Well, I mean, you could keep trying to act as if nothing had really changed. We could start dressing more casually, take off your sport coats and suit coats, and, and direct, come in your uh, shorts and t-shirts. We could act as if nothing was wrong, but eventually a visitor would come through the door and say, how come you people don't have any power here? And so a church has got to have power. It's got to. And the more things heat up outside, the more power you need inside. Now, there are some risks involved with having power. In spite of what Bud Para would say, our JEA man, there are no voltage regulators on the power grid of the church. So sometimes things are going along normal, smooth, some might say dull, and then all of a sudden, bam, a transformer blows, and something disruptive happens. It's a surge that could even be dangerous. Look at what happened to this group of disciples that were gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate a Jewish feast. They're, they're all together in a room, and all of a sudden, fire and wind, or something like it, not literally fire and wind, but something like it comes upon them. Not just upon Peter, not just upon the ordained ones or the special ones. All of them, every single one, had something come over them. Some kind of powerful presence, like fire or wind. We know about fire and wind, don't we? And what did it do? It pushed them outside, outside into the streets, outside into the public, where they started talking about what, was, what they were experiencing. And they publicly identified with someone who had just been, a few weeks earlier, criminally executed. Someone who was a political uh, criminal. He was a rabbi. He was a spiritual guru, but he was also a rebel with this unorthodox teaching about love. And so they started publicly identifying in a most dangerous way with that person and making wild claims that he is alive. And then they did something maybe even more crazy they started sharing their property. Their unity was of such strength and yet practicality that they, it says they shared all things in common. This was not based on some new economic theory. It wasn't based on a new public policy. It was simply that their drawing together, their togetherness, 
was so palpable, so strong, so important to them that nothing was going to get in the way of it. Not differences of means, not how busy one was managing one's affairs or uh, how much money or influence one had. They were going to be together no matter what. And they shared all things in common. It wasn't a utopia that they were searching for. It was a, a, a practical outgrowth of their experience of unity in the Spirit. It was a relentless commitment to the practical aspect of being a Spirit-led person. So it begs the question, I think, for us today, does the Spirit still do things like that today? Is there the power of the Spirit here? Does this church have power? We look for signs. We look for evidence, and the more clear and unambiguous the signs are, the, the better we like it. We want some predictable signs of the Spirit, like Old Faithful out at Yellowstone. Something that we can know will come around, and we can see it, and move on. No one wants to be duped. We live in a society that is skeptical, and really, our denomination historically has been kind of skeptical about the, the, the charismatic nature of the church. Jonathan Edwards, in a sermon he preached, said that, that the Holy Spirit, the signs of the Holy Spirit, are not emotional primarily. It has to do with how one lives one life over the long haul. How do you live your life day to day? That is the evidence of the Holy Spirit. The Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, I guess, are two of the most universally accepted statements of faith in the Christian church, and both of them have very little to say about the Holy Spirit. The Apostles' Creed says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was born of the Virgin Mary, etc., etc., and then it comes to, I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Christian Church. I mean, it just, that's it. I believe in the Holy Ghost. That's it. And similarly with the Nicene Creed. But then, after that, we, we see a statement about the signs or the work or the evidence of the Spirit. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the resurrection of the body, the forgiveness of sins. So, the signs of the Spirit in the community are forgiveness and communion. And then the other sign is hope. Hope that life has the last word over death. That God is ultimately going to work things out according to the promises of, of God in Christ. So the church now lives between the Holy Spirit and this work of forgiveness and hope in the world. 
with all of our troubles and questions and imperfections, we become the agent of reconciliation and hope. Oliver Wendell Holmes said, the important thing is not where we stand, but the direction in which we are going. This week, in Vacation Bible School, we're going to be talking about the direction of reconciliation and forgiveness in community, and we're going to be talking about hope. And the kids, I'm sure, will teach us as much as we teach them. And when our youth go on their mission trip into East Tennessee on their Appalachian Service Project, they will be agents of reconciliation and will bring hope to the folks that they encounter there. And they will indeed experience that in their own group. We believe and pray. So the Spirit is leading us in the direction of reconciliation and communion. That's what the Spirit is doing here. And the Spirit is leading us in the direction of hope in the face of all evil that would try to steal it from us. Hope that is convinced that what is unseen is still intensely practical. Amen. And now let us respond to the good news by sharing with the church and with God the first fruits of the Harvest Festival. 